I'm 25 years old. I'm in Chennai, South India, and I'm sitting next to my grandfather's bed. He's 81 or 82 years old. Um, he's a former chemical engineer for the Indian railway system, a self-taught flautist, and he's the patriarch of the family. He's been bedridden for maybe 18 months at this point. And uh, at this point in my life, I've, uh, I've done a lot of psychedelic drugs, and I feel like I'm spiritually wise. And I feel like I want to be spiritually supportive of my grandfather in this moment. And I hold his hand and I say, Tata, if you want to go, you can go. You've done enough. We love you. And if it's your time to go, you don't have to stay. And he starts convulsing. Uh, like, his back arches, his eyes roll back in his head. He starts, like, uh, you know, heavy breathing. And he's like... <gasps> and I'm like, oh... Oh, he took my advice. Like, he's, he's about to be out. All spiritual fitness went out the window, and I freaked out. I got really scared, and I said, Tata! 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 And he shoots up, and he makes eye contact with me, and he goes, Hey! You said I could go, and now you're telling me to stay. Make up your mind. And uh, <laughs> I just started hysterically laughing. I was like, I got scared. I'm so sorry if you want to go now. But I think I, I ruined the moment. It was done. He stuck around for another two years after that. I'm Woodkar Shambudkar, and this is just one of the crazy stories about death from my life. I've always been fascinated by death, and I've seen a lot of it. I talk to my dead relatives all the time. I definitely believe I have a whole bunch of ancestors who've got me covered. Um, you can call them my better angels. And even though death makes us super uncomfortable, it's the one thing that's guaranteed to happen to all of us. So I think we should all be talking about it. And I'm not the only one who does. This is Close to Death. In this series, I'll be talking with comedians, writers, and journalists who are also curious about death. They're our modern-day philosophers, the perfect people to look at death head-on. They've all gone off and spent time with someone who works in the death industry, and they'll be sharing what they've learned. Writer and producer Greg Heller gets us started with obituaries. Hi, Greg. Hi. Now... What is the difference between an obituary and a death notice? Well, in my brain, a death notice is like a blurb. Uh -huh. It's like, Susan died, and in lieu of flowers, get your dog neutered or whatever. But the obit, to me, is the opportunity to tell the story of a person's life. Got it. Why uh, the interest in obituaries for you? Two reasons. Um... The first is that I am a writer, professionally. <laughs> and uh, I was just like inherently curious, like how do you take 70 years of life and summarize them in a thousand words? How do you do that? But I think more motivating for me um, was finding my father's obituary. 
Howard Lawrence Heller, a resident of Rancho Mirage in Maui, was born in Glendale, California, and it's so dry. Like, most of the world, they don't, like, they didn't know my dad. Right. They just have this. This really is the entire legacy of my father. And it might not be enough. It's not enough. And I wanted to find out, like, how can I become more than a paragraph? So I went hunting for professional obituary writers. I used to always think it was some bullshit thing, like, you show up on your, you know, your first day at a newspaper, and they're like, hey, Greenhorn, you're going to write obits for the rest of the day or whatever. But, like, it's become an elevated art form. And when you go down the wormhole of, like, who are America's greatest obituary writers, you kind of wind up going back and back to this guy, John Pope. I think I have read that you're most commonly referred to, like, Pope? Yes. Just, like, kind of Plato or Fergie or whatever, just Pope? And Cher, Madonna, that crowd, yeah. Pope has written for the New Orleans Times-Picayune for more than 40 years. Most of those years penning obits. He is a legend of the deadbeat. It's gotten to the point where when I call certain friends and they see my name on their smartphones, they'll pick up the phone and say, Who died? Pope's an icon of the New Orleans death scene, known for his extensive collection of bow ties, exhaustive knowledge of the city, and the tiny reporter's notebook he carries around with him. Pope is the kind of guy for whom the term raconteur was intended. He spent most of his 70-some years collecting stories, stories he loves to share, stories with names in them. Paul Prudhomme, who was a Cajun chef. Ella Brennan. Marguerite Fox, who wrote for the New York Times, wrote the obituary of Helen Gurley Brown. Socialites, strippers, civil rights icons, these are the colorful figures who've passed through Pope's revered death verse. Like a lot of people who work in the death space, obituary writers bank on you to die. In fact, they do more than bank, they bet. Oh, we had ghoul pools. At the start of each year, we'd start a pool on who might die during the coming year. Um, when we read, like, a sports column or an entertainment column, with a sports columnist, you assume, like, oh, that person grew up obsessed with baseball. But with someone who writes obits, did you grow up with a fetish for death or an obsession with death? (laughs) If you mean that I sleep in coffins, no. No, I did not grow up obsessed with death. I live in New Orleans, which is rich in history. And I have a master's in history from the University of Texas. And that taught me the importance of context. Providing. And so the more you do these stories and meet these people, you just become naturally pulled into stories of people and communities in the city. I liked it because I was telling stories and I was finding out stuff I might not be supposed to know. And that was cool. And I just got to pry, which I enjoy. How many times have you spoken to someone who's about to die? Deep, reflective conversation with someone who knows they're going to die. 
Pope has spent hundreds of hours doing exactly that. And even though his work is a celebration of life, there's got to be some psychic toll. Randy Schultz was an early chronicler of the AIDS epidemic for the San Francisco Chronicle. He was a friend. And when I started writing about AIDS, all my sources were dying. I mean, this is before AZT or any other drug was available. So I said, Randy, how do I keep from going crazy on this beat? He said three things. One, write about other stuff. Two, work out. Three, get a life. And that helped. You talk about this in a certain way of like, that this staying, like giving yourself a little bit of distance from this work is important. Is it because like otherwise you will be like saturated in death? Yep, exactly. Um, I have a downstairs tenant, one of my best friends, who sometimes will notice that I'm just really glooming out. I mean, there was a time late in 2017 when a colleague and two dear friends died in quick succession. I wrote all their obits. And one night I was just lying on my bed in the dark, staring at the ceiling. And David called up and said, are you okay? I don't hear anything. I said, I'm fine. I'm just absorbing all this. But I just get out and do stuff. You've got to have an outlet. Do you feel in some way prepared for death because you interact with it so much? Well, I don't know. I don't want to die, but I'm not just bowed down by day-by-day -day anxiety over death. You may recall that Lauren Bacall cared for Humphrey Bogart in the last year of his life when he was dying of esophageal cancer. And John O'Hara wrote her at one point along the way, no matter how prepared you think you are, you're never really prepared. And there you are. I mean, my wife died of cancer, and I wrote her obit, spoke at her funeral. That didn't make it any easier. Four months of psychotherapy helped, but um, no, it didn't make it any easier. Pope's work is nothing like the cookie-cutter blurbs from the back page of your hometown rag. There is no, he loved golf, dogs, and ranch dressing. In an obit... I'm not there to give a resume. No, you try to get the person's personality in there. So I do armchair psychology. Um, are you familiar with the movie Citizen Kane? Of course, yeah. So whenever I do an obituary, I feel like the man in Citizen Kane who was assigned to find out what Charles Foster Kane meant when he said Rosebud right before he died. What made the person tick? And that's it. That's, uh, that's what I'm looking for. Can or should an obituary be able to double as a eulogy? C can you distinguish between eulogy and obituary to me? <laughs> One of, I'm, I'm in a group called the Society of Professional Obituary Writers. We call ourselves the Grimmies. And one of my fellow members said an, an obituary should be somewhere between a eulogy and character assassination. We're not doing the lives of the saints here. This is not hagiography. So how do we handle obits for people who were like really obvious assholes? Like, I was thinking, like, what are obituary writers going to do when Mel Gibson dies? All you can be is truthful. Mel Gibson, who won two Academy Awards 
for his vanity production of Braveheart, Common died. And then, in addition to his filmmaking talents, Gibson was known for having a really unbridled tongue, whom he could unleash at unfortunate moments. People will be afraid. They'll say, well, he's dead. You can't say that. Well, excuse me. If not now, when? So yes, despite what your mom told you, it's perfectly fine to speak ill of the dead. Which is good to know, because I'm about to pen the obit of a well-documented asshole. Me. I milked a pope for more tips. What does my obit have to include? What's mandatory? Your name. Okay. Birthplace. Birth date. Date of death. Place of death. Cause of death. Education, high school and college. And it was a long list. And then funeral arrangements. But if you can embellish that with anything along the way. I just want to tell you, Pope, as you were as you've been listing these things, I am like terrified of doing this now because you immediately start to think. Shit, I like I should have got another degree. Like I'm not active enough in the community. <laughs> it, like I'm not doing it. I suddenly feel like my obit is like going to be really lame. Have you done time in prison? I did like a couple of days in like a county lockup because I stole a maintenance car in college. But it was not prison, it was like local jail and my mom <laughs> wouldn't bail me out. <laughs> that is a true story. I love that story. Um, should I put that in there? Wow. I think so. I mean, it's, it rounds you as a person. I want to be rounded. You have to have something that would press an obit writer's quirky button that would make him or her think, oh, wow, this is a good story. You're competing for attention. I'm always personally kind of bummed when an obituary doesn't include the cause of death. And what do you do if it's like a super gruesome death? Like if somebody is like, torn apart by wolves or falls into a vat of acid? Like, could a death be so gruesome that publishing it it's undermines the rest of the obit? Or is it just honesty before all? I haven't had either of those happen yet. I guess I have something to look forward to. Um, ah. I'm, t- I'm saying this because we're, we're marching towards me scripting my own obit. And as part of that process, I've been like fantasizing about how I might die. I don't know why I keep going back to torn apart by wolves. I think it feels like particularly cool and it, like not while you're undergoing it. No, <laughs> I think it, we we would probably do a main story on the death itself. Heller, comma, torn apart by wolves, comma, had worked so and so and so and so and so and so. We would put that in a separate story just because I mean the sheer awfulness of the event would merit its own story. Although okay, I Al Copeland who founded Popeye's fried chicken how did he die? What happened to him? Cancer of the salivary glands. Now, I thought that was fascinating slash ironic for a man whose livelihood relied on his sense of taste. What a foul way to go. <laughs> what is the objective here? At the end of this exercise, I should feel or I should know what? that you're dead. No, seriously, that um, you should feel that you have, you've explained yourself to an audience of people who had no idea who the hell you were. And you should be 
captivating, witty if possible, details of your travel, and vignettes are good. Vignettes are key. So it sounds like some baked into a little bit of this, there is a little bit of bragging, but bragging is couched in the idea of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Don't be hamstrung by the traditional format of an obit. Um, be tight and be, be interesting. Um, don't strain for a laugh because it shows. Jeez, oh, the Greg Heller story. Yikes with that one. Yeah, I know. Subtlety is a wonderful quality. I, I've, I, I, I strive for that. Having suckled at the teat of a master, I started writing. But I realized almost immediately how little perspective I had. I am simply too close to myself. I needed some other people. Hi, it's Greg. Thanks for calling my obituary hotline. After the beep, please summarize what makes me tick and anything else you think people should know about me after I'm dead. Have a great day. When I first met Greg over 25 years ago, I did not like him. <laughs> when you got into a band, Taylor was the kid who said, I was into that band five years ago, and now all their music sucks. He's a short, tan, scratchy voice surfer. Um, he does have a weird fetish for his cat, and he's kind of a crazy Dodger fan. Greg was the loyalist of friends, someone that I cried to many, many times. Through the worst things in life, Greg was always there for the people he loved. I always thought that Greg would have made a great podcast host, but I guess he died. Okay, I'm righteous and loyal. I'm also an annoying, cat-obsessed music snob. And shout out to my friend Grant, who wasted no time on platitudes. I think your most important trait is you're completely full of shit in almost every aspect of your life. I digested all the voicemail intel, stirred a slow gin fizz, and pondered my first draft. What belongs in my obituary? Cool job shit I've done, arrests, making a baby, that famous person I went on a few dates with. Through it all, I asked myself, WWPD, what would Pope do? Be tight and be interesting. Tight? I've never really had time for brevity, so I focused on the interesting part. I hammered out Obit V1 and shared it with my wife, Ayala. Her biggest note was that she wasn't in it enough. She didn't mind for any ego reason, but felt her absence, quote, made me look like an asshole. So I added more stuff about her, Ayala, I love you, and I got a second opinion from Abby, my best friend. This is weird. It's weird. I don't know why it's weird to read it to you. It's like weirder to read it. It is stranger to read it to you for some reason than it, than it was to read it to my own wife. Does that, uh, does that seem weird? That is really weird. Is that weird? <laughs> okay. Um. <clears throat> Greg Heller, writer, producer of Obscure Television, loud talker, and critic of your taste in music, is finally dead. <laughs> Ah. 
that gravelly voice forever muted when a pack of wolves tore him apart in his native Los Angeles last week. Oh, grim. Born in Los Angeles, young Heller bounced between the San Gabriel and San Fernando Valleys before the inevitable California divorce and remarry landed him in Laguna Beach. Here began a complex, lifelong relationship with the thoughtless leisure of surfing. The attendant surf subculture, with its brainless (laughs) jargon and insufferable beach reggae, (laughs) proved a constant affront. And yet, it was some combination of wave and wanderlust that ultimately inspired decades of global travel. It was on these forays he developed a penchant for exotic fruits. I didn't know you even had that penchant. I have that penchant. As one longtime friend notes, we tasted the fruit, but never seemed to enjoy it as much as he did. And he was always insisting we peeled it wrong or didn't hit it with enough love. Heller's tenure at Itzer was ultimately marred by an incident in which he failed to outrun local police in a stolen campus <laughs> maintenance truck. <laughs> I thought it was like a golf cart, or was that what it was? That's what it was. (laughs) Owing to its minimal horsepower and a small hill, the truck was eventually overtaken by bicycle cops, (laughs) who hauled Heller into custody, where he used his one phone call to beg his mother, Nancy, to bail him out. But as it was Mother's Day, she quickly replied, you can rot in there. (laughs) He was eventually released on his own reconnaissance. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Heller was, by turns, a man of infinite passions and unlimited snobbery, Mm -hmm. and music, from which sprang much joy and more judgment. Your sins of Mumford or Migos would not go unpunished. Music, the insatiable ear and never-ending quest for what was next, house, tropicalia, hip-hop, gospel, death metal, forever urging friends to expand their simple palettes and dabble in the unfamiliar. From his late 20s through his early 30s, he worked as a music journalist, throwing curveballs at Rock's Elite for the low-paying likes of Rolling Stone, Alternative Press, and the SF Chronicle. For the decade preceding his evisceration, Heller was married to Ayala, a woman of cosmic beauty and infinite patience. To the puzzle of many, she endured and possibly enjoyed the man described in this obituary. Just as COVID ushered in an era of isolation and sourdough bread-making, the couple welcomed their only child, Ellis Samuel. Firstly, just like, what are your broad impressions of it before we get into any specifics? I think it's very well written. um, And it's funny. It's a little braggy, uh, but also self-deprecating. Yeah, I mean, I think that I see your life this way too. Sweet. (laughs) Yeah, I expected it to be kind of like this. Maybe with a little more of, like, the surfy stuff in it, you know? Yeah, I know, but it's, like, your legacy, and I don't want to be known for that. You don't? I don't. You're screwed, then. (laughs) For the most part, Abby felt like I nailed the obit. Except for one thing. I mean, we've been friends forever, right? And so we have known each other as married people and single people and college people and... Uh, parents, but I think Greg was kind of a ladies' man. <laughs> I don't know that you say that in an obit, though. Um, should I mention? Should I mention her in my obituary? <laughs> okay, about that bleep. Many years ago, I dated a celebrity for like a minute. She was something of a leading lady, but her role in my life was barely a walk-on. I wasn't sure if this was something worthy of any real estate in the final summary of my existence, but. 
WWPD. Vignettes are good. Vignettes are key. I never, ever talk about dating (laughs) I never talk about it for like... That's not true. I never talk about it with people (laughs) who I'm not really good friends with. Oh, okay. Like I would never, it never, there's no context really to ever bring it up. And yet you're bringing it up now. You brought it up. Did I bring it up? You brought it up. I brought it up. (laughs) But I am thinking now because I'm dead, maybe like... Now's the time. Maybe now's the time. (laughs) Didn't you make chicken for her? No. You cooked for her. We actually broke up because I made chicken for her and she called me and said, I don't feel like driving all the way over to that side of town tonight. Oh, Can you come over? And I was like, no, I made you chicken. And that was the last time we ever talked. (laughs) (laughs) And I always, I've always sort of told people like, I broke up with But really the truth is like, she didn't want to drive to my house. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Do you think it makes me sound like a bad person to include it? A bad person? Yeah. No, I think that it illustrates that there always will be this tiny little part of you that thinks it was really cool that you landed a even if only for like five dates. Less. <laughs> oh, okay. And Pope did give me carte blanche to brag. You're competing for attention. But there were bigger, deeper issues I needed Abby's help with. Real shit that came up for me when I listened to those voicemails. So there were probably, I don't know, 20 or something messages on the Obit hotline. Mm-hmm. And this is so weird. This is such a strange, like, psychological exercise. But listening to all of them, when people were telling dumb stories about me, yeah, it was really easy to listen to. And then when people started saying, you've always been such a good friend or you're such a generous person or whatever, that stuff was really hard to listen to. I mean, imagine you... You pick up your phone one day, you have 31 new messages, and it's just people saying, you're such a good person. Oh, my God. I want to do this. You do- <laughs> <laughs> I really, like, I need that. How can I arrange for that to happen? Um, You'll tell me how to set up a hotline. I'll tell you how to set up the hotline. But it <laughs> is, there was something about listening to all of it that was um, really, really difficult. There's two things happening. One is kind of a, like, a lot of it isn't about who you are, like the depth of who you are. And it sounds to me that like when people reflected on the depth of who you are, that part makes you uncomfortable. But like, I bet it doesn't make you uncomfortable, um, you know, that we were roasting you because you're very comfortable with self-deprecation and kind of like pointing out your flaws But people saying a whole bunch of nice things about you makes you feel weird and icky. Fuck. She's right. Compliments make me feel icky. And complimenting myself, that's beyond icky. It triggers all these arrogance alarms. I honestly cannot believe I'm becoming one of those people who has an unintended voyage of self-discovery on a podcast. But here we are. So, I poured myself three fingers of Japanese whiskey and polished my obit for delivery to the master. As dawn broke, I gave it a final read, confident it would blow Pope's mind. Send. And then, 
Pope Call. Hi, it's John Pope. It's 839 in New Orleans. Please call me. And he hated it. I think we have a problem here. He said my obit lacked substance, and the timeline was a mess. There were too many obscure references and meandering stories. It was wordy and overindulgent and crass and just, he thought it sucked. In fact, he thought it sucked so hard, he nearly backed out of this podcast. Remember at the beginning of this episode how I said my dad is dead? Well, sometimes after your dad dies, you cruise around looking for other dads. Old dudes to pat you on the head and say, good job. But when I called Pope back, there was no pat on the head. There was only a boot to the nuts. First of all, how old are you? (laughs) You didn't put it in there. I did not. Okay, I will add that. That will be added. The gratuitous profanity is a turnoff. Dial it down. And you're saying stuff that doesn't mean anything, like faith in the interconnectivity of all lives. I mean, write in English, not not psychobabble. And then there was the throwing curveball that rocks elite. I'm first of all, how did you get into? How did you get into music writing? Why did you get into music writing? Yes, I swear a lot. And okay, I kind of write in code sometimes. I read too much Pynchon in college. I'm not comparing myself to Thomas Pynchon. I'm just saying, whatever. The point is, that's me. And isn't that the point? That this is, was, me? Okay, who was the woman who turned down your chicken? Well, uh, I had a debate with a friend about this. And there was some... thinking that glossing over that portion, that tiny, tiny, tiny part of, that that was something interesting in my life. But it also felt, firstly, a little tasteless to mention another person's name, given that I'm married and also dead. And also, I think I thought, perhaps, doesn't it make my life more intriguing to not know who this famous person was that I broke up with because of chicken? No. No. You get to the nuts of it about two-thirds down. Heller was hesitant to discuss the person he actually was. I'm getting that. Since you've been dealing with therapists, you ought to be a little more into disclosing. I mean, for instance, the story about your mother's refusing to bail you out That's interesting. It says a lot. But I'm not sure where it goes from there. If it has any relevance to your development as Greg Heller, grown-up... There is no no Greg Heller, (laughs) grown-up. Okay. Just to be clear. I mean, I'm working on it. I will get there. I will get there. Party on. This is... It's tone. Tone. This is an obituary. Someone has died. This is not a Friars Club roast. Tone. It's all about tone. It feels self-consciously jokey. Let me be self-consciously not jokey for a minute. I worked hard on this obituary. I reflected heavily. I drafted and redrafted. 
I agonized word choice, and if it's not already obnoxiously clear from everything I write and say, including gratuitous mentions of Thomas Pynchon, I consider myself a great writer. Hearing Pope tear my obit apart was like, well, it was like being torn apart by wolves, but just one wolf in a bow tie. What is Tropicalia? Tropicalia is sort of like a, it's kind of a catch-all term for music that came out of Brazil at a certain era, late 50s through the early 70s. Would your audience know whom you're talking about? I wouldn't. Again, think I don't know, but... Think of your audience. But is there any merit, is there any merit to this concept, Pope? Hmm. Most people don't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) ergo... People who read this won't know what I'm talking about. And that is emblematic of who I am as a person. Is there any logic to that rationale? Tell the story. Don't think about how you think you are perceived. Can I just stop for one second? Uh Uh-huh. In some ways, Pope, what you have just said (laughs) sort of like distills this process and also kind of distills a life lesson. Don't think about how you think you are perceived. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there it is. I just fucking learned a life lesson on a podcast. So hack. But there's real takeaway here, and I might as well take it away. Your life is an obituary in progress, and the word count is finite. Every moment, every decision, every meal, every kiss, every song... Every single day is competing for page space. And Pope doesn't want me or you to waste that page space on bullshit. Pardon the gratuitous profanity. Surrogate dad dreams die hard. So I asked Pope if he had a kind word or two to soothe my shattered pride. It's neatly typed. I had some fear in doing this Pope that I would sound arrogant by doing it. It's sort of like, because I wrote it, it sounds like I think I'm cool. But I feel like (laughs) if you wrote this, it would sound like you think I'm cool, which is totally different. Is that, it sounds like you don't think that's a thing to be concerned about. Don't be, you'll be dead. Just tell the story and everything else will take care of itself. Um, right. I mean, part of, you kind of wonder if the takeaway from that is, from this is like people maybe shouldn't write their own obituaries? No, no, um, not at all. I've written, I've written mine and revised it twice. Well, maybe then maybe people who aren't professional obituary writers shouldn't write their own obituaries. <laughs> maybe mm. there's something in that. <laughs> we all have learning curves. Greg, we all have learning curves. Pope seems to know something that everyone who works in close proximity to death also probably knows. That death is not easily impressed. Death doesn't care about your record collection. Death doesn't care about your clever turns of phrase. And death certainly doesn't care that you went on a few dates with Winona Ryder. Yeah, it was her. And the chicken thing is true, but 50 bucks says she doesn't remember me. Death demands nothing less than unflinching honesty. Death wants your soul. The wolves want your guts. And John Pope wants your rosebud. You'll be dead. Just tell the story, and everything else will take care of itself. That night, 
I cracked a Tecate Tallboy, shed my earthly ego, and took one final pass at the obituary. WWPD, and also WWID. What would I do? What would I do if I wanted someone to actually know who I was in a few hundred words? I killed anything that felt self-consciously jokey. Exotic fruits, Mother's Day in the clink, gone. Mumford disc, gone. Tilapia disc, gone. But, for the record, that fish is garbage, don't eat it. Actress who refused chicken, gone. The entire process was contrary to every instinct I have to roast, impress, and frustrate. And all it took was death. I sent the final draft of my obituary to Pope, and he wrote back. This obit is better. I feel that because of its rambling quality and the music references, it's the sort of story that would do well in Rolling Stone, if for no other reason than that some of the names you drop wouldn't mean much to someone who isn't deeply in the music scene. If you intend it for a general readership publication, like a daily newspaper, you'd have to tighten it up. Fuck that. I'd rather die. So, um, it sounds like you did not get an A from Pope on this assignment. Utkarsh, I did not get an A. I did not, I, I, uh, I did not get a B. I did, I, I did not get a passing grade. If he didn't see potential in you, he wouldn't have criticized you so. Pope is not fucking around. And, it, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> That's, put that on a t-shirt. It really should be a t-shirt. Pope is not fucking around. He was very blunt repeatedly about saying... How come you're not telling me who you are? How come you're not telling me who you are? How come you're not telling me who you are? And he was right, but it's hard. Honestly, I don't think I could do it to get to a place where I can distill my true essence into a thousand words and be okay with it without having done worse. I mean, like, bro, at least you said some real stuff. Like <laughs> I, mine would have been like, Chicken fried steak at Bob's Big Boy was one of, is like, mine would have been so surface level. Pope would have stopped talking to me. Yeah, maybe the takeaway here is like, let the obit writers write the obits. If you want to see a really great obituary, you can read some of Pope's at nola.com. This episode was produced by Jordan Bailey and Greg Heller with production support from Ali Graham and Camille Peterson. I'm your host, Utkar Shambutkar. Jordan Bailey is lead producer. Sarah Nix is executive editor. Greta Cohen is executive producer. Kessler Childers and Greg Lubin are executive producers for Powder Keg. Our USG audio team includes Josh Block, Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Lauren Rakow, Daniel Welsh, and Craig Bloom. Mixing and sound design by Nocturnal Sound. Production assistance from Greta Weber and Maura Waltz. This is a USG Audio podcast in collaboration with Transmitter Media and Powder Keg. For more information, go to our website, usgaudio.com.